I want to welcome everyone listening, especially all of you that are a part of the growing online community that join us every week. I hear from you, and some of you join as new listeners every week, and I'm especially thrilled that you are with us. Uh, I am Rick Atchley. I preach at the Hills. We're a church in North uh, Tarrant County with three campuses. We have one in West Fort Worth, one in South Lake, and one at North Richland Hills. And we've been studying what Jesus had to say in John 14 through 16 about the Holy Spirit, the parting gift. Now, this is our final teaching, but next week, I want to invite you to join us at any of our three campuses. We're going to take a moment during our worship time simply to offer the gift of prayer for all who would seek more of the Holy Spirit's influence in their life. Our church leaders will be positioned. We'll make that call, and you can come and just simply ask to be filled with more of the Holy Spirit. And I hope you'll take advantage of that tremendous opportunity. This weekend, my wife and I have the blessing, the exhilarating and exhausting blessing, of helping to host a retreat for ministry couples in deep need of encouragement. You see, sometimes people think, well, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't have any more problems, should you? No, the Bible doesn't say that even Christians have problems. The Bible says especially Christians can anticipate problems if they're going to take following Jesus seriously. And that's one of the themes that Jesus is developing in these final words where he talks about the coming of the parting gift. And one of the reasons that we need the parting gift is because Jesus knew that trouble is on the way. Notice, for example, in John 15, verse 18, he tells his disciples, If the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. And then just two verses later, he says, If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And then just a few verses later, chapter 16, verse 2, They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. And so... In America today, there's a popular theology called prosperity theology. And it says, if you follow Jesus, you'll be healthy and you'll be wealthy and you won't have any troubles. And the only way you can keep that belief is to keep away from what Jesus actually said. Because Jesus is preparing his disciples and saying, if you follow after me with vigor and integrity, you can expect trouble. But he refuses to excuse bad attitudes because of bad circumstances. And so I think it's very significant how Jesus begins this whole final discourse. Look at these words in John 14 verse 1. This is how the whole thing begins. Do not let your hearts be troubled. No, wait a second, Jesus. You just said they were going to hate us. You said we might get persecuted. We might even get killed. Yes, I did. But do not let your hearts be troubled. Jesus is expecting his disciples to rise above anything trying to pull them down. You see, troubles will come. But a troubled heart 
is a choice. Now, let's be clear that Jesus is not talking about the kind of troubles that are created by our bad choices, by our rebellion and our disobedience. The Bible says that we will reap what we sow. And if you sow rebellion and if you sow disobedience and you reap a hard harvest, please don't whine about it and blame God. What Jesus is talking about is the kind of trouble that comes because we have decided we are going to follow a man that the world crucified. And because we live in a world that has fallen and evil and in rebellion to God. You see, what Jesus is doing is coaching his disciples on how to play as the visiting team. And I think that is a word the church in America needs to hear today because so many Christians seem to be upset that the rules are changing and we're not the home team. We don't have the home field advantage But the church has never had the home field advantage. We've always been the visiting team. In fact, Philip Yancey tells a neat story about being approached one time by a Muslim man who made this observation. He said, now I've read the Koran all the way through. And I cannot find in the teachings of the Koran any guidance on how to be a Muslim in a minority context. But then he said, and I have read the New Testament many times. And I cannot find in the New Testament any guidance on how to be a Christian in the majority. And he's right. We've always been the visiting team. And frankly, if you look at church history, we are at our best when we are in the minority being a witness and a testimony to Christ. And so we can't avoid trouble. But we can't avoid heart trouble. But to do so, we need some help. So Jesus said, trouble's coming, but I don't want your heart to be troubled. And look what he says. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. And look at the very next word. Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. And then again, do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. The very thing that Jesus said after he promised the Spirit was, I'm giving you peace. He's sending the Holy Spirit To help us in a troubled world, not to live with troubled hearts. And Jesus believes that the hugeness of the promise trumps the size of our problems. In fact, Paul would pick this up later in Romans 14. He would say, the kingdom of God, it's not a matter of eating and drinking. It's righteousness. And peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Following Jesus does not mean we have a life empty of pain. It means we have the potential for this supernatural life full of joy and peace through the person of the Holy Spirit. So I began to reflect, so how does the Holy Spirit help me experience this kind of peace? And I think there are several ways 
And one is regarding our status with God. Because what's going to happen when we have trouble? What's going to happen when we get cancer? What's going to happen when we get attacked, when we get betrayed? What's going to happen when we begin to experience problems because of our faith? Satan's going to show up, and he's going to try to assault your confidence in God. First thing he always does. And the first thing you've got to remember about the Holy Spirit is that he reminds us salvation has been sealed. He speaks a word of confirmation. That is louder than the word of condemnation that the enemy tries to sow. Do you remember when Jesus was baptized and the Spirit descended on him as a dove? And what was the next thing that happened? The Father said, you're my son whom I love. I'm well pleased with you. The Spirit didn't descend to make Jesus the son. The Spirit descended because He was the Son. Now, do you know that God wants you to have the exact same experience that Jesus had? Look at Galatians 4 with me. Because we are His children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. This is one of the best gifts that the parting gift brings the assurance that we are the beloved heirs of God. You say, but sometimes I mess up. Yeah, the Spirit knows that. But that doesn't change your status because your status was conferred by God and God doesn't change. And if you will learn to be still and allow your spirit to get in touch with His Spirit, He will give you that message. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Now, when you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who were God's possessions to the praise of His glory. Now, Paul uses a metaphor there. He compares the Holy Spirit to a seal. Now, we don't use seals much today, but his readers would have immediately picked up that picture because in his day, seals were used for two reasons. One, this is so cool, they used a seal to stamp an invoice when it had been paid in full. And do you know what that stamp usually said? It is finished. Now get this, this is so cool. So when we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to stamp us with the last words of Jesus. That our debt has been paid, our sin has been covered. He comes as evidence that our sins are gone. Didn't Peter promise on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized for forgiveness of sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He comes into you now because the house has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus and the Spirit of God can now live in us. So that's one of the cool things that seal is saying. The Holy Spirit is saying to you, the debt is paid. And then the seal in Paul's day was used to legally validate ownership. Seals established who owned something. Do you remember when they put Jesus in the tomb, 
the Romans sealed the tomb. It was their way of saying, this tomb belongs to us and don't mess with it. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit is God's proof of purchase. He is confirming with your spirit that you belong to God. Now, in fact, boy, you talk about how practical the Holy Spirit is. And one of the things I hope this series has done is remind you the Holy Spirit's not a doctrine. It's also a very practical help. The Bible says you're not your own. You were bought with a price. And now the Holy Spirit lives in you Because you have become the temple purchased by God. So get this. The Holy Spirit doesn't just say, it is finished. The Holy Spirit says, I am finished, okay? I'm not my own anymore. I am mine no more. I've been bought with blood. And my body and my life belong to God. The Holy Spirit is sealing my salvation. Look at 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 2. This is so good. Now, it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. And He anointed us. He set His seal of ownership on us. And put, us, put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Calvin Coolidge former president of the United States, was known as Silent Cow. He was not a man of many words. In one of his first runs for office, he was elected mayor of Northampton, Massachusetts. But it was a close election. He won by only 190 votes. So the next day, he's walking down the sidewalk, and someone comes up to him and says, Cow, I understand you won the election, but I want you to know I didn't vote for you. And all he said was, well, somebody did. And so when the enemy assaults and when the enemy attacks your status with God, the Holy Spirit speaks and the Holy Spirit says, you've been elected by God. We are God's elect and nothing can change the results. Think about it. To unseal something, you have to be stronger than the sealer, don't you? That's why Jesus can rise from the dead, because God is mightier than any empire on earth. So, who is mightier than God's Holy Spirit to unseal your salvation? Now, people, this ought to give us some peace, shouldn't it? We shouldn't be tossing and turning and fretting and wondering about, is our status with God changing day after day after day? The Holy Spirit. Spirit has sealed our salvation. And that's good news in a world that is so crazy and so wicked and so evil. Because, as we've already heard, He's also a deposit. He's guaranteeing what is to come. Because another message the Holy Spirit sends to us is that creation will be healed. The Holy Spirit is present to remind us of the future. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 5 says, Now the one who has fashioned us for this, he's talking about how God, as our bodies begin to wear down, as our tents begin to fade, he's prepared 
resurrected bodies for us. So he's fashioned us for this very purpose. And he's given us the Spirit as a deposit. And there it is again. Guaranteeing what is to come. Now that's the second time we've seen that word deposit. And you know what's cool about that word? It's used in modern Greece today for engagement ring. Now when you give a girl an engagement ring, what are you doing? You are giving a promise that she can bank on something wonderful in the future. One of the Holy Spirit's reminders to our spirit is that our groom is alive. That he is right now sitting on the throne and he is making preparation for the marriage feast because a wedding banquet is on the way. And you know, it's not just us that anticipate that day. All of creation does. The Bible says the earth that is is not the earth that was. Paul says all of creation groans as in the pains of childbirth, awaiting liberation from decay. And it's interesting, in the final discourse of Jesus, he uses the exact same metaphor. He says, right now it's like a woman in labor, and you're sad, but the day's coming when you're going to be full of joy. I remember being in the labor room when Jamie was delivering our son Matthew. I remember the sweat. I remember the blood. I remember the agony. I remember the pain. I remember the screams for help. And the nurses were awesome to me. And they, then they went and they helped Jamie. I mean, it was awesome. But here's the thing I've noticed. Nobody puts pictures of labor on Facebook. They put pictures of the baby. The Holy Spirit helps us live in the future tense. All of creation is eager for the final consummation that Jesus has purchased. Look at Romans 8 with me. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children. Including the new bodies he has promised us. Let me say again. The gift of the Holy Spirit is exceedingly practical. God wants you to live a supernatural life. Let me be very personal. And so in the spring of 2007, I'm in McGregor, Texas, at the funeral of my grandmother, my mother's mother. What made it especially poignant as I looked at the casket where my grandmother's body lay was to look down the row at my mother. 
in the last year of a five-year struggle with cancer. And we all knew that my mother was in her final days too. In fact, just four weeks later, we were at another funeral. And I looked at my mom, and I looked at that casket. And there began to well up in me something that I want to call righteous indignation. I was angry, but it wasn't an ugly anger. It was a holy anger. And I began to hear these words speaking to my spirit, saying, Death does not have the last word. Cancer doesn't win. Satan gets no victory here. This is not the last chapter. We will be together again. And the Holy Spirit was encouraging me. Giving me supernatural peace. That ultimate healing is on the way. This is why as Christians we can groan. But we don't gripe. The past has been sealed. The future is going to be healed. And that gives us incredible peace right now in the present. Because you see, because of the Holy Spirit, transformation is being revealed. In other words, troubles and tough circumstances and hard times cannot stop the good work that God is doing in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says our present sufferings don't compare to the glory that is being revealed in us. Yes, we're the visiting team. Yes, we face a lot of struggles and trials. But God is doing something in us that is being revealed to the world. And troubles coming cannot prevent our becoming more like Jesus. And so a little later in the same chapter, Paul says in Romans 8, We know that in all things God works For the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. It's always been God's eternal plan to shape you into the image of Christ. And how does He do that? He sends His very Spirit into our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, We're being transformed into His image. With ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. See, only a divine outpouring into our hearts could make us more and more like Him. But nothing can snuff out what God is working out in us through the Spirit. I had that thought 
when I came across a section in R.A. Dickey's autobiography. Now, you baseball fans will recognize him. He won the Cy Young as the best pitcher in the National League a couple of years ago. For, And you may not know that he was uh, a number one draft pick in 1996 by your Texas Rangers. And they agreed to sign him for $810,000. Now, here's this young man from Tennessee who's a strong believer in Jesus, right? And he's so excited about this possibility. And so he remembers going to see then general manager Doug Melvin of the Rangers. And he's praying to God. And he's thanking God that he has opened the door for this kind of opportunity. And he sits down with Doug Melvin. And here's what he hears. We're taking away your contract. You see, they had done an exam and found out that in his right elbow, he lacked the ulnar ligament that they felt like would hamper his capacity to pitch. And R.A. Dickey said, I saw my whole dream collapse. He said, I wasn't just angry. I was filled with rage. And I just wanted to unload on this man. And this is what he writes. But it's as if there's a strong hand on my shoulder holding me back, giving me pause. And in that instant, I have self-control that wasn't there a moment earlier. I hear a voice. Relax. I've got you. Relax, R.A. It's okay. I've got you. The voice is the Holy Spirit. I was just talking to God in prayer. And now he's talking back. Giving me a composure that could not have come from anywhere else the tsunami passes i'm crushed by doug melvin's words but i'm not going to do something stupid because i hear the spirit saying i've got you i said in the first lesson of this series there are many reasons why some of us have been hesitant to fully embrace the ministry of the holy spirit Maybe for some, it was bad teaching. Maybe for a few, it was a bad experience. But I said then, and I still believe this, the biggest reason many of us are hesitant is apathetic discipleship. You do not need the help of the Holy Spirit if you aspire to no higher life than just to be semi-moral, with semi-regular church attendance. But if you want to enter into a world full of evil and trouble as a strong and powerful, faithful witness for Christ, you need help. Because that world is going to try to empty your heart. But the Holy Spirit can keep it filled with joy and peace. And you can hear him say, I've got you. And you can also hear him say, and by the way, Jesus has got this. He's Lord and he's got it. You know, I had never connected this before. The final discourse of Jesus starts with these words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Look with me now at how it ends. 
I've told you these things. All the stuff that we've talked about these last six weeks. All the stuff about truth. All the stuff about witness. All the stuff about trouble. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Now in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Yeah, troubles will come. But Jesus has overcome. And we need to let the Comforter settle our hearts every day with that truth. Trouble will come. But your heart doesn't have to be troubled because Jesus has overcome the world. Maybe this illustration will help. Imagine that you are a billionaire. And you have three $10 bills in your wallet. And you take a short taxi ride. Let's say the total was $6. And you pull out one of your $10 and you give it to the cab driver and just say, keep the change. Later in the day, you pull out your wallet and there's only one $10 bill in there. Well, what happened to the other one? Did I accidentally give the driver two bills? Did I drop one? What are you going to do? Are you going to call the police and track down that cab driver and try to get your $10 back? Are you going to go back and walk along the, the sewers and the gutters and look for your $10? you are a billionaire. You are incredibly rich. You're not going to be troubled by that minor issue. The Holy Spirit wants to remind us how rich we are in Jesus. We are the heirs of God. You're going to get betrayed. We're going to get hurt. Our bodies are going to decay. Somebody's going to hate you if you love Jesus. But we're too rich in Christ to let that change our attitude, or trouble our heart. Peace is not the absence of trouble. It's the presence of the Spirit saying, don't be overwhelmed. Jesus has overcome. It's the best gift ever. And I hope the things we've studied will go from here to here. And so I want to pray for that. And I want to start my prayer with the prayer of Paul. It's from Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, I'm asking now in the powerful name of Jesus that everyone that hears these words may be open to a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. I know some people that are listening to me right now, Father, are 
going through time of great pain. And the enemy is trying to take advantage of their sorrow, to question their salvation, to question their future. We speak against and we rebuke all that he is doing in the power of the Holy Spirit. We affirm that our salvation is sealed, that our destiny is sure, and that you are changing us into the image of Christ. You're even using our troubles. To make us more like Jesus. We affirm that Jesus has overcome. That he is risen. That he is reigning. And we ask now God. For supernatural peace. To invade our hearts. To control our thoughts. And to increase our witness. Because we believe God. The world is in desperate need. Of the testimony of men and women who can look trouble in the face and not have a troubled heart. And so, God, fill us with the hope and the peace and the joy that comes when we surrender to your Spirit. For Jesus' sake. Amen.